Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Nice to see you, what I can see of you. And to those of you who are watching online or on screen, I can't say nice to see you because I can't, but it's good to know that you're with us. And it's encouraging to look around and see that week by week a congregation is returning and growing by the looks of things, so that's all good news. Let's pray. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would come alive to us this morning. And let's pray for his help as I speak. Father God, we thank you for today, set aside as Pentecost Sunday, a day when we remember and think about the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And our prayer, Lord Jesus, would be that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us. Even now as I speak, help Holy Spirit. Come and make a difference to our lives, we pray. Come and move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, for those who are in church with me this morning, you should have been given a, a piece of paper which has got the reading from Luke chapter 11, verse 5, and that's going to be helpful because we're going to be referring to it, and I'd hate you to think I was making it up as I go along, as it were. Some years ago, Liz and I uh, visited a garage where we booked an appointment to test drive a car. It was an automatic car. And uh, I think the way I remember it is I, I did the first shift of driving with Liz sitting in the back and next to me in the front was the garage salesman. And slightly nervy, actually, doing that kind of thing. I don't think I'd driven a stranger like that under surveillance since my driving test. And as we were going along, after a bit, I relaxed fractionally. And um, I was driving along, and I asked him, the salesman, so what's that gadget for, that button there? I'd never seen the like of it before. It was just sitting halfway along the steering wheel, and it had a plus on it. I said, well, what's that for? And the fellow looked at it and looked at me, and then he said, uh, 
Well, I don't know. But it doesn't matter because you'll never use it anyway. And I thought that was a particularly bad answer. Uh, and of course, the thing was, uh, I was itching to give it a go, to press this button. But because I thought it might be an ejector seat or something like that, for, for, for a long while, I, I didn't. Uh, it happened that we did buy the car, and then I consulted the manual. And then actually, it turned out to be an exceptionally useful button, which could shift the gear of the car down, make the car apparently jet forward with a lot more <laughs> speed. Well, I'm glad you like that story. <laughs> What's it got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's got a lot to do with the Holy Spirit because in our less good moments, we treat the Holy Spirit a bit like that button in the car, or we could do. You could ask a friend, I could ask you, you could ask me, and on a bad day, you'd say, well, what's that button for, the Holy Spirit? And I'd say, well, it doesn't matter because you'll never use him anyway. In fact, as far as I know, to mention the Holy Spirit in some quarters, it might be as good as pressing the ejector button. But Pentecost is in our calendar to at least remind us that there is a Holy Spirit and that God gives him to us to help us and equip us and change us and empower us. It's not that we only should focus on him once a year, but it's good for us to have at least a date in our diary where we're made to think about him. And I want today to walk us through this parable. We are doing a sermon series on parables. And the parable of the visitor at midnight is very helpful. Now, you just had the story read, so it's fresh in your mind. But let me, let me remind you, it is a friend it's the story of a, a man with a friend who drops in unexpectedly at midnight and asks for food. And apparently it, it was commonplace in Jesus' day, that, and it made sense, that you would do your long journeys at nighttime because the sun wouldn't be bearing down on you, so it was more comfortable to travel then. And it was also quite literally a rule of the road that if a friend dropped in on you, you did offer them hospitality because there were no local corner shops. How else were you going to sustain yourself during a long journey? And the person in this story is caught out. They have an empty larder. And so I always imagine that they let in their friend in the front door and they run out the back door and, and hassle their neighbor for sustenance. And the striking thing that they say to their neighbor is, I must have some food because a friend has visited me and I've nothing to set before them. Nothing. I'm on empty. So for goodness sake, get me out of this jam. Now, what's that got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, if you read through, and I, this is why I've had the passage printed out, and you jump to the end, you will see that actually, and I'm going to go through these paragraphs step by step, you'll see the first paragraph is all about what I've just told you, the person who visits his friend because he must get sustenance. The second paragraph is about how to receive, ask, seek, knock. And the third paragraph is... Jesus talking all about the good gifts that the Father has for us. 
And he uses a parallel, doesn't he? He says, which of you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? That's not exactly a mastermind question. The answer is none of us. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, in brackets, who is a good gift, to those who ask? Now, ignoring Mary Poppins' advice that we should start at the very beginning, I'm going to start at the end and work backwards. Let's just focus on the words I've just read in verse 13. If you, though you're flawed, that's all of us, and evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who isn't flawed but is perfect, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I, I want to just emphasize, because we won't get anywhere otherwise, that the Holy Spirit is a good gift. That's the point of what Jesus is saying here. The Holy Spirit is a good gift coming from our loving Heavenly Father. And I have cherry-picked three areas that the Holy Spirit is a good gift. I mean, I could speak literally on three areas every week for at least a year and not exhaust the areas that the Holy Spirit is a good gift, but for today I've just picked three. The Holy Spirit is good when it comes to refreshment. The Holy Spirit is aligned in Scripture with God giving us refreshment. There are many places that indicate this is one of his primary works amongst God's people. And I know no more vivid a place in Scripture where this is set out for us that in, than in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel talks about having a vision and being led in his mind's eye to a valley full of dry bones. This is what he says. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of a valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel has a very canny answer, and if God ever asks you a really tricky question, this is what you should answer too. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Good answer, don't you think? And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of a Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. Now that's the same word as spirit. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you'll come to life. And then you'll know that I am the Lord. And if you were to read on in the book of Ezekiel, you discover that's exactly what happened in this vision. First of all, all these bones were reassembled into skeletons, into a meaningful shape, and they had skin put on them. And then, as Ezekiel prophesies over these bones and invokes the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit enters them, and they come to life, a vast army, we're told. So here's a question for each of us, just to reflect on for a second. 
Have you ever felt dry as a bone? I have. I know what that's like. To be spiritually exhausted with nothing left to give. To be weary. To find yourself in a barren place. It's not fun and it's not funny. The place where you find yourself saying your prayers rather than praying your prayers. Or going to church rather than engaging with God in church. A place when, frankly, instead of hoping that someone might ask and give you an opportunity to share your faith, you're really hoping that no opportunity will come, so you won't have to. Not because you've ceased to believe, but because you're worn out. In fact, if you're dry as a bone, you identify with the person in the parable. I've got nothing to set before them. Help, help. Now Paul, the apostle, recognized this condition. He wrote to the Galatians that they shouldn't grow weary in well-doing. Why did he write that? Because he knew the possibility of growing weary of doing well. He had to learn, just like we have to learn, that our own strengths will never be enough. But God's strength will be. God can strengthen us. More serious still than the situation in which individuals feel dry as a bone with nothing left to give is when God's whole church is clapped out with nothing to set before the people. And here's the thing to remember. That with the coming of the Spirit, come strength. I can do all things through him who infuses me with strength, writes Paul to the Philippians. Or as Zechariah would put it, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And if you need more scriptural support even than that, well, Acts 1.8 delivers it to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be my witnesses. Okay, that sounds good. So how? How? Well, I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. But let me ask, so we don't miss this point. I was going to ask you to put up a hand, but I don't want to embarrass anyone. But I need to ask you this. Is anyone here in need of God's strength? You know, we need to come clean to God when we're on empty and he can do something about it Jesus says more than once blessed are those who hunger and thirst blessed are those who are poor in spirit so, so if you do feel like that today whether you're in church with us now or whether you're watching online God can do something about it he, he's not surprised He's not disappointed. You haven't let him down, but you will need to come to a place where you ask him for strength. Here's the second thing the Holy Spirit's good for. Sensitivity. That's quite tempting to call this talk strength and sensitivity, but there are more than two points, so I won't. Sensitivity, a new heart and a new spirit is promised 
in the life of a believer. Now, we're talking about something very big here. My second illustration, which involves cars, which is really unusual because I couldn't care less about cars, is one of the more generous presents that I was ever given, but it was a somewhat backhanded present, was I was given the hand-me-down car from a university friend of mine um, when he, he got a prosperous job and I went off to a vicar factory. Now, you don't turn down a car which has passed its MOT and is still sort of licensed to be on the road, but this was a car with a difference. First of all, the steering wheel was on the wrong side. That seemed quite major. Secondly, whether you liked it or not, if it was raining outside, water somehow leaked through the windscreen, down through the kind of innards of the car, and ended up dripping down your right leg. So before you drove anywhere, you had to roll up your trouser leg above the knee, and um, that was fairly entertaining. And then as he handed the car key over to me, he said, Rupert, there are rust holes over the wheel arches of this car. It was a Volkswagen Beetle. And he said, the police might well stop you because they're so huge and gaping. But the thing you need to know so you can say it to the police if they ever do stop you is the wheel arches are not an integral part of a chassis. And apparently that means it's fine. So you, you're getting the impression, quite rightly, that it was a wreck. But, but the supreme thing that you needed to know if you were driving this car was that it had this enormous, I wouldn't even call it tendency, it absolutely always had a mind of its own and it wanted to take you off the road to the left-hand side. So you, you learnt to pull down really hard all the time on this humongous steering wheel because it had nothing like power steering. So all the time you were sort of like in action against the car because it had a mind, it wanted to go its own way. Well, that's a picture, that, that is a picture actually of you and me. The, the scriptures tell us that in, in our natural state, we all of us have got a mindset that wants to deviate from the road that God was set before us. In fact, before you and I became followers of Christ, you never even thought about the fact that your choices were taking you away from God. And you couldn't care less because you had no Holy Spirit in you to give you such a mind and sensitivity. But listen to the present that is promised in the Holy Spirit as I read this little passage out from Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities, from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart that's like a new control center a new steering wheel. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit with a capital S, in you and cause you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my ways. And now you see what we're being told here by Ezekiel is now, with the Holy Spirit, we have a gravitational pull, as it were, to pleasing God. In our heart of heart of heart of hearts, that's what we want to do. And the technical word for this is a life of holiness. As Paul would say, we make it our aim to please him. That, we discover, 
is fullness of life. And what happens with the coming of the Holy Spirit is a new sensitivity, brand new, you never had it before, towards God and towards his world. One of the unwanted consequences of the waywardness that I've been talking about in the illustration is hard-heartedness comes with it. And the inability to hear God's voice, much less to obey his commands. Again, it's what the scripture would call the deceitfulness of sin. But with the Holy Spirit, that, that deceitfulness is exposed as truth takes its place. And that waywardness becomes to us repellent. We don't want to go with the call of a wild, as it were. We're more and more sensitive to the voice of God. And we become tenderized as well. We become much softer people, much more aware of what's going on around us, much more sensitive. That's why you find the Apostle Paul weeping as he writes his letters, so he tells us, because his heart was moved. Compassion is released. A new vision of what God's doing. That's all part of what the Holy Spirit can do. Would you let him? Would you pray for that? Would you be hungry for that? And thirdly, quite distinct from the other two things I've mentioned, is a newfound boldness to live for Christ. You might remember that early on in the book of Acts, the disciples find themselves literally between a rock and a hard place. After they've healed a man who, who has been crippled in the name of Jesus, they heal him by the name of Jesus, Peter and John are hauled before the chief priests and the elders, and the very same group has so recently sentenced Jesus. And they tell Peter and John, don't they, on no account must you do anything anymore in the public sphere in the name of Jesus. Because so recently, Peter has been standing up and saying, salvation is found in no one else. Now, just use your imagination for a fraction of a moment. To stand up in a Roman time and to say salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Well, that puts you on a collision course, doesn't it? Because the Romans always made you swear allegiance to the emperor. Caesar is Lord. And you're saying, no, not on no account. Jesus is Lord. So what did the disciples do with this gagging order? Well, they ignored it. And they prayed. And this is what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When we have Holy Spirit boldness and Holy Spirit power, then the kingdom advances. Have you noticed, of course you have, how the church around us seems to be losing its voice on important matters. There's huge pressure to dumb down and pipe down, to do what 
was pressure on the apostles, actually, to take Jesus off the pedestal and just make him one of a pantheon, to throw out biblical requirements for standout holiness and go for blended mixture, just camouflaged in with the background instead. If you like, to downgrade the Ten Commandments and turn them into the Ten Suggestions instead, that kind of thing. Given the spot that the apostles were in, we would have understood if the disciples had kept quiet, wouldn't we? But they didn't, did they? They prayed up and they spoke out. And people received eternal life and people discovered God's purpose for their lives. They prayed for boldness and they prayed for signs and wonders, for signs of the Spirit of God at work. And guess what? It happened. We're told the place where they were was shaken. And they went out and they healed the sick and they proclaimed the kingdom and the church of God grew. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? You can't do this in your own strength. We need the Holy Spirit's help. And it's pertinent for us here at St. Michael's because Jesus sends us out to go and make disciples who make disciples who makes disciples. Just return, look at this parable again with me. Now we're going to the first paragraph in it. Now I think it'll become pretty obvious why Luke puts it out like this. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine's on a journey has come to me and I've nothing to set before them. Don't you ever feel like that when you're talking with someone and you're longing to talk to them about Jesus Christ? You're longing that they might know the difference that God could make in their lives. And I see in this story that Jesus tells two things very, very clearly. I sense the desperation of this man, or it might be a woman, knocking on the door of, of their friend's house. And it comes across so, so clearly, doesn't it? They're making a real nuisance of themselves. It, it wasn't till I had young children and knew what a hassle it was to get them to go to sleep at night that I knew what the person was saying when they said, buzz off, I've got my children in bed here with me and I've just gotten to sleep. You know, it, it, that moment when you're so pleased that life is under control and, and now you can have a bit of space. And to have some idiot knocking at the door and waking up the whole family is, ah, keep me away from it. But Jesus tells his story to say, the person on the outside knocking says, I don't care who you've got in bed with you, you're jolly well going to get up, answer the door, go to the fridge and give me something to give to my visitors. And the whole emphasis of what Jesus is saying here is the shameless audacity, the brokenness, that the, the person begging for a source didn't care what they looked like, what other people thought of them. They were so hungry for help. And my challenge to you and to me is how much do you care about the fact that there are people all around us who are hungry for God and they've not connected with him yet. How much do you cry out to God in prayer that we, the community of St. Michael's, might be able to feed them living bread? 
might be able to witness to them in a way that would connect them with the secret of the love of God that you and I already enjoy. Do we, make, not that I'm literally asking you this, but do we, would we be prepared to make an exhibition of ourselves before God if that's what it took? I'm not suggesting we do that, but I'm just saying, really, what passion have we got for this? Because I think you don't have to walk very far in any direction all around us, and you'll see people who are living quietly broken, desperate lives, desperate for the presence of God. And it's not obvious, necessarily, who they are. I would hope, actually, this is what I would hope. I would hope that week by week by week, there will always be some people in our congregation coming here hungry to meet with God. That whatever we look like on the outside, however cool, calm, and collected, it's bound to be that there are some people who are feeling inside really wretched, that life's on top of them, that it's not working out. However successful they might look to an outsider, inside they're saying, oh God, there's got to be a better tune to sing than this. And we want to be able to say there is. There's a song that God can put in your heart. And whatever kind of a hash you might think you're making of life or have made of life, the Holy Spirit can give you a clean heart and a new purpose. So come here, we've got springs of living water for you. And if that's what you are feeling on the inside today, let me remind you where to turn for help. The Holy Spirit can come and meet you. If you're dry as a bone, he can come and refresh you. If you've lost your sensitivity to the things of God, he can restore it. If boldness is something that seems a million miles away from a word that describes you, he too can give you Holy Spirit boldness. That's not the same as brashness. It doesn't mean you're going to become obnoxious overnight. It means far more that you're just prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. But you've got to do one thing. You have to ask. You have to ask. So what about the middle paragraph, the one that begins in verse 9? So I say, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Well, that tells us something about the persistence that we need. Because the verse says, is, go on asking. Go on seeking. Go on knocking. And what about the last paragraph again? Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, why do you think Jesus says this? I'll tell you why. Because it was true back then, just like it's true today, that some people are frightened of the Holy Spirit. They, they wonder, to invite the Holy Spirit, give him free reign in my life, is that sort of like letting the cat out of the bag? Will, will something bad happen? And Jesus uses these three pictures to say, really, just to brush that objection off and say, of course not. Because, it, you know, it, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or an egg will give him a scorpion? Now, I, I've never visited your family at breakfast time, but I know this, at least I think I do, that when your children used to come to the table at breakfast and ask for their cereal, you didn't give them cyanide. And they didn't sit there worrying about it. And, and if you don't have children who can't relate with that, 
Well, evidently your parents had children and you were one of them. And so you can put yourself in the shoes of you, the child. When you received breakfast at your parents' table, did, did you used to kind of do a sniff test over the cereal? I'm not sure if it's cornflakes or cyanide, Dad, really. Of course you didn't. And if they asked for a fish, you didn't sting them instead, and you weren't stung. No, of course not. And Jesus said, so how much more, how much more can you trust your heavenly Father? And I want to say that to us. I want to remind us, not just the day, Pentecost Sunday, but every day. Because frankly, the need is so urgent. The need is so urgent. And the task God has given us as a church is so great. Great in the sense of it has such magnitude. I, I remember hearing about um, a church in Chicago called Willow Creek Church. And it had the slogan, the strap line, of what was the purpose of this church? And their strap line was to turn irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ. And once a year, they used to have a kind of leaders meeting and they used to get uh, an organizational guru, someone who used to talk about management and structures and organization in the secular world to come and give a lecture to um, the church leaders. And as this uh, lecturer, who was not a Christian, was strolling around uh, the amphitheater, he stopped in front of one of the participants and said, what do you think the purpose of Willow Creek Church is? And being well taught and attentive, this person said, well, it's to turn irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ. And the lecturer then said, well, what do you think of that as a strap line or an ambition for a church? And the church member, I suppose, you know, hadn't had time to repair and just looked up and said, well, if I might say so, I think it's one hell of an ask, which was not exactly appropriate language, but it, it did capture the size of what we're asking, isn't that? You know, when, when we pray for people to become followers of Christ, it's, it's not like asking them to change the color of the wallpaper in their home. Everything in their life is going to change. It, it's an amazing ask. And we would never have the courage to do it, except that Jesus has mandated us to do it, to share the good news of Christ. And friends, we need to pray for a move of the Spirit at St. Michael's. We seriously do. Because if this doesn't happen, left in our own strengths, we're going to be pathetic. We'll just turn into a little club of people who like meeting each other. And frankly, there are better places to meet. But with the power of the Spirit in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, we could see God doing incredible things. And that's what he wants to do. That's what Pentecost Sunday is about, is God equipping us, his people, God refreshing us, his people. So, let's turn this into action. This would be a bad sermon if all you do is go home with a few more verses up your sleeve. This will be a useful talk if you and I open our hearts to God and say to him, help, help. I'm going to uh, suggest we have a moment of quiet. 
where each of us can just reflect, just mull over what the scriptures have been saying to us, what God might be saying to us. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. And my hope will be that each of us will ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us as appropriate. Let's just wait upon him for a moment or two. I'm going to pray for us in those three categories that I've really set out to describe today. And the first one is for people who are dry as a bone. For those of us who recognize our condition of having become parched, dried out, and strangely distant from the God that we love. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us resource in your promised Holy Spirit. And we pray now that you would come, Holy Spirit, to address this kind of emptiness and dryness. We say, river of life, please flow here. We, we're bold to pray to you, Jesus, knowing that you said it anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink and right out of his heart from his very core will flow rivers of living water this he said about the holy spirit as we wait on you just say yes we're asking you lord just like you told us to how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask we pray Lord secondly for the sensitivity to your Holy Spirit and the desire for holiness the desire for a life that will please you and I'm sure that for some this is like a wake up call this morning a reminder that sin is deceitful and you can be wandering a long way from God and not have realized how far you've drifted and if you like, it's like the Holy Spirit saying, come back, come back. I can give you a sensitive heart again. I can correct your steering deficit. David prayed in the Psalms, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And we say, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you convict of sin but you bring the freedom of life in the new land. And we pray we wouldn't be shy or embarrassed to come clean with you, Lord God. Send your Holy Spirit that each of us might be led in your ways. That would be a fantastic Pentecost present. And thirdly, we pray 
for that boldness to return to your church, to this church and to all the churches that bear your name. Lord, you don't need to be told how hard it sometimes is to stand up for truth, to speak the truth, and to live the truth. But like the apostles, we want to pray to you, Lord. Consider their threats and send your Holy Spirit that we might speak the word boldly and that signs and wonders might be done in your name that people might encounter the power of a living God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray that we here at St. Michael's would hear increasingly of stories of lives made new, of broken lives fixed, of new purpose, new joy. Let us play a part in your kingdom coming, we pray. Holy Spirit, empower us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.